I'm especially excited, and I want to make note right off the bat that Kim and Denise are here with us. Let me tell you, <laughs> this place is a family, and Kim and Denise are one of those that heard wind of Grace Point. They lived in Florida, um, heard wind of Grace Point over the news and online, and started paying attention to us because of our theology and what we were saying in our inclusion statement. And after that, started visiting a couple times, and after visiting, decided to move here from Florida. And so the specialness of that, the uniqueness of that to me, they're not moving here because of our great theology. They're not moving here because of Stan or I. They're moving here and chose to move here because they came here and they found a community. They found a place where they feel safe and they feel loved, and they are excited to be a part. And that's amazing. That applauds. Um, I want to applaud what we're doing here, what you all are doing here. So officially welcome Kim and Denise. So for any of you that joined us early, it is really good for me to begin this morning and to begin this service centered and balanced. Um, I have found that when I force myself and I have to force myself to sit still. My middle name, my mom would tell you as a little kid was go. I mean, I like to be busy, I like to keep moving, and so for me to choose to sit over here or sit in my home and center myself, it's quite a task, but I'm so glad that I did because the quietness, it brings me back to my life mantra of all shall be well. As I'm sitting there and any time that I'm choosing to sit in stillness, I am finding peace and being reminded that no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm facing, that all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. And specifically this morning, the word that I heard was trust. And I don't know what you heard, and I'm sure we all heard a uh, hundred different things, but for me, I heard trust. And it wasn't only for me to be encouraged to trust God, it was also for me to be encouraged to trust myself and to trust you and to trust others. And so that was my little piece, my little nugget this morning. But I know that when I get in this time of quietness that my belovedness rests, and then I choose to stand confidently and then live out of that. And so this whole series that we are in the midst of is called Awaken, and it is all about choosing to find our healthiest sense of self, our truest sense of self for this season, for this moment, um, for this time in our lives, and then for us to learn some of these practices and choose to live out of them to both recognize and be aware that there is beauty, truth, and goodness, and to let that be a window to the divine. Sari Aurobindo describes beauty, truth, and goodness as three dynamic images through which one makes contact with the supreme reality, to the ground of all being. He comments further that these three ways, beauty, truth, and goodness, when they are combined and followed concurrently, they have a most powerful effect. And so here as pastors, our goal then is to lead us towards and to nurture that powerful effect, to cultivate an awakening in your life. Stan has often used the midwife analogy to describe what it is we feel called to, and I love that. So we are and should be trained professionals with expertise and with skills to then support you to help maintain a healthy journey and thus a healthy life. We do not manage you. 
okay? Nor do we dictate what a healthy look, uh, life should look like for you. We as leaders of this progressive Christian community, we've had a lot of discussions even this week about how we are not called, we do not feel led to toss out a lot of should and should nots in your life. We then, and this goes for all of us, I believe, we are meant to have empathy for one another, to be able to stand with and live and walk alongside one another, to truly be with each other. But specifically, our place as leaders here will hopefully be as a guidance to you. Hopefully, it will be for us to be a safe place for you, sometimes a challenge for you, sometimes a comforter, and also sometimes a teacher. So in this current series, Awaken, we are considering again what a healthy looks life, life looks like and then how we are to function out of that. And we're focusing on both inward and outward spirituality. We want to hone in on what it is to have a full and abundant life. So this is one quote that I want us to look at to begin. It's by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. It says this, a single event can awaken within us a stranger totally unknown to us. To live is to be slowly born. To live is to be slowly born. Now, many of us grew up with the idea that we are born once of the flesh and then born once again of the spirit. But I want to offer that God in life offers us many opportunities to be born again. Many opportunities to be saved from the false sense of self. And so in many ways, we are trying then to cultivate these events in our own lives. We're trying to be intentional about our own growth and not just wait on things and events to happen to us. So we believe a healthy life, an awakened life, involves both contemplation, which is the inward spirituality, and then also action, which is outward spirituality. And for the last few weeks, Stan um, has focused on and has introduced some practices in order for us as a community and as individuals to be able to do some of this on our own. And so the goal of the 15 minutes that we started with, that some of us started with this morning in this room, was for us to get grounded into our souls, to see the beauty. It's for us to begin to know the truth that is present within us and about us. And then when we move out of that space, then we will choose to act with intentionality. Then we will choose to move with goodness. That's that beauty, truth, and goodness in our lives. So this healthy process, though, starts with awareness. It starts with realization. And I believe awareness is probably half the battle for us. So I read a lot of books in preparation for this message that I was supposed to uh, do last week, and so I was able to work on it a little more this week and read some more books. And me being a curator at my core, I often curate songs for the services or for concerts, and I realized that even in my sermons, although I'm bringing a lot of my own insight to this message, I've also um, curated this as well and brought a bunch of quotes to you this morning, so I can't wait to share. One of them, though, is pulled from an English author, Neil Gaiman, and he wrote this fictitious novel called The Graveyard Book. And in it, he's singing or, or speaking this lullaby over this child, and he says this, and listen to this for yourself. He says, sleep, my little baby, oh, sleep until you awaken. And when you wake, you'll see the world, if I'm not mistaken. You'll kiss a lover, dance a measure, find your name and buried treasure, face your life, its pain and its pleasure, but leave no path untaken. And I thought about that, and as I read that, I thought, that's what I want to sing with my life over my children, and that's what I want to say over us today as well. Leave no path untaken. Live fully. 
Now, part of our DNA, our divine DNA, is that we have this sense of the more. We are made with this innate sense of wonder and of searching. And when we truly wake up to life, we begin to see and appreciate all of life as a gift. We begin to awaken to the vastness and the beautiful colors and the broadness that is around us. We begin to appreciate life and all of its circumstances, including all of our own frailties. It was John O'Donohue who is by far my favorite poet that said this, and let's look at it. Once the soul awakens, the search begins, and you can never go back. From then on, you are inflamed with a special longing that will never again let you linger in the lowlands of complacency and partial fulfillment. The eternal makes you urgent. You are loath to let compromise or the threat of danger hold you back from striving towards the summit of fulfillment. See, many of us, we feel and we are beginning to perceive that there is so much more to this life than we have tapped into. There is more peace, more joy, more truth, more power, and the list can go on for us. But we have to first be awake. We have to be aware and see to be able to bring this all to fruition in our lives. And so again, Santa's been encouraging us and challenging us these last few weeks with the inward focus to recognize our inward spirituality and to come to a sense then of mindfulness and of contemplation. And I think obviously we all agree that we want to camp out here for a little bit for a couple of weeks and maybe we'll bring this into a process that will not only be a part of our services for a season, but in general, because so many of us have realized that there has been a deficiency in our life for stillness. There has been a deficiency in our life with some of these practices. And so as again, we began this morning, many of us with silence and stillness and listening, we intentionally, and I'm going to come back to this word a lot because I believe maybe intentionality is the word of the year for Grace Point, but we intentionally chose then to do a practice this morning that simply follows the natural rhythms of our life. See, all of us, we awake in the mornings from stillness. And then we choose to move then into action. We move to the coffee maker, we move to the kids, we move and let the dogs out. Some of us move straight to our phones or our computers, which isn't necessarily the healthiest of options for us. But we move, right? It, it is the natural flow of our life. And so I want to think about that then in terms of our spirituality as well, as well. What are the natural and healthy rhythms of our lives? And now most of us are very comfortable with the doing, right? We do a lot. Our lives are busy. Our lives are full. And most of us have the doing down. But some of us have forgotten how to create space in our lives just to be. Or at the very least, we have forgotten that just being is enough. That who we are is enough. That what we do is simply an addition to our life. That our successes, that our fortunes, that our labels, that our titles, those are all additions, but they are not a measuring stick, though, for our worth here. Our worth is not a result of our actions, but rather, our actions should be a healthy overflow out of the assurance of who we are. Our actions, they should simply be a healthy overflow out of the assurance of who we are. So some would say then that contemplation becomes essential in our process because it is there that truth is discovered. And the beauty is that during this process, truth is not discovered just once, but continually. So Richard Rohr would suggest that contemplation is first about learning how to be. 
Contemplation is first about learning how to be. So before we can act, we need to know that it is good simply to be ourselves with God, to be loved as a person with both our gifts and our faults and our frailties. We need to know that we are eternally safe with God. Yet many of us wonder, many of us struggle with these questions. Does God love both my beauty and my mess? Does God love the whole of who I am? It was Friar Walter Burghardt who said this, that contemplation is taking a long, loving look at the real. Taking a long, loving look at the real. And I wonder, can you gaze at yourself with full love and compassion? And can you gaze, not a quick look, but a gaze? And a gaze, if you think about for many of us or any of us that are parents, remember when we brought our children home for the first time and that we're sitting there in all of our um, tiredness and exhaustion, but we're sitting there and we're looking at our child and there is just pure love flowing and we're not glancing at them, but we chose to gaze at them. I wonder if you can think about that same gaze to yourself and just close your eyes for just a moment. Let's just try it. Close your eyes. And the question is, can you join God and gaze at yourself? A gaze full of love and compassion. And whatever answer you find to that question, choose to say that it's okay. Don't judge it. But I would ask that you would take a mental note of that and you would choose to come back to it later because that would then be the goal. You can open your eyes. See, we've seen that this is really hard for many of us. So we then as leaders and pastors and teachers here, myself, Stan, Anna with our children, uh, William who's with our adults, and also he and the volunteers with our youth, Josh, Ron, the whole staff, our goal is to be here and work to do our best to give you opportunities and tools and songs and prayers to remind you that you are loved. The sum total of who you are is loved and that you are safe. So again, we can look at contemplation as both learning how to be and then that grounding us in our being. Learning how to be and then that grounding us in our being. It allows us to return to the identity based on I am. Not I do, not I have, but I am. It is that place of quiet acceptance then that we can uniquely be prepared for action. So then the time of contemplative prayer, of focus, of stillness, this time is not for the avoiding of distractions. Um, it is then precisely how we would deal with distractions, both in the moment of our prayers and in our stillness, and later when we have our eyes wide open. Richard Rohr would say, contemplation is not the avoidance of the problem, but it is a daily merging with the problem and finding its full resolution. So the contemplative life, the contemplative life is about learning how to be, grounding us in our being, and then we will learn how to see. Not only, again, in the times of our prayer, but also um, not just in times of our stillness, but the goal would be for us how to learn how to be attentive and present wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And so we would posit then that this is a healthy life, that this is what healthy spirituality looks like, because this is us then living with an attitude of receptivity, an attitude of attention and awareness. Let's look at Proverbs 2, 9 through 11. It says, you will understand what is right and what is just. And I want to encourage you, stop right there, because if many of you don't understand, 
Don't worry, you will. You will understand what is right and what is just. You will understand every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Understanding, the gift of understanding of not only your own actions, but also an understanding of others. Can we lean into understanding when faced with a hard relationship or a frustrating situation? And I don't know about you, but for me, that has been a huge test and a huge opportunity for growth in my life. It's interesting, Brene Brown says that we won't judge others in areas where our own sense of self-worth is stable and secure. We won't judge others. So the more secure we are, the less judgmental we are, okay? And um, you can watch that play out not only in your own life, watch that play out on social media. Pay attention to Facebook, not just in your words, but when you sense that someone else is being judgmental or catty, it is there that you can sense insecurities and then choose to have compassion for them and for yourself. So here begins the awareness for me then, that contemplation, the seeking of the truth of ourselves and of God should be the source then of all of our living and all of our action. Dr. Gerald May says, contemplation happens to everyone and it happens in moments when again we are open, undefended, and immediately present. So Stan's idea that we even practice this morning of getting to a place of shh, a place of hmm, and a place of ah, those moments, I believe, they're not just opportunities for us in times of our stillness. That's not all that he's saying there. He's saying, yes, do that in times of our stillness, but eventually we will get to a place where our lives become reflections of that as well. See, intentional contemplation should move us then into intentional action. It should move us into healthy action, not just responding, not just reacting to situations or to people. See, maybe most of us think that contemplation are then uh, opposites, but in fact, the opposite of contemplation is reaction, which is the state then in which most of, most of us live and we operate. We operate by reacting, but contemplative action is again intentional. So I believe contemplation by itself, contemplation without action is escapist. It is escapist, okay? One has to go with the other. But action that is not then grounded in contemplation, it's dangerous because the result will always be a raw reaction. And a raw reaction then, instead of it truly being a free action and a free response. And I want us then to understand the difference of the two. A raw action, a raw reaction is one then that carries judgment with it. Okay, but instead a truly free action is one that moves with compassion. It's one that reacts with love and out of love. And the goal here again is for us to have love and compassion for ourselves and for others. Look at this quote by Thomas Merton, the great monk. He wrote, our vocation is not simply to be, okay, that's the con contemplation. It's not simply to be, but to work together then with God in the creation of our own life, our own identity, and our own destiny. See, Merton recognized that the love of God must be expressed in concern for all of humanity and that this very notion is the heart of the gospel. So when Jesus is asked what is the greatest of the commandments, he immediately responds with, we must love God with all of our being. But without pause, he adds this, just as important that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So Merton began to um, try to carefully look at what does this look like? What does this mean? 
And the silent monk began to spoke, uh, speak out powerfully and eloquently on three extremely important aspects of his spiritual life, so of spiritual life in general in his estimation. And he believed it was contemplative spirituality, social justice, and inner religious dialogue. So Merton, he recognized the individual importance of each of these things, but he understood better than most people that interreligious dialogue and the work for social justice, that they are not separate from spirituality or contemplation, but they must grow out of it in a very organic way. Let's look at this quote by Pope Francis, who many of us respect. Pope Francis says, in our Christian life too, prayer and action are always profoundly united. Prayer that does not lead to a concrete action towards a brother who is poor, sick, in need of help, the brother in difficulty is a sterile and incomplete prayer. I'd say amen to that. To be awake then means for us to realize that our own lives Our dreams are connected then with the dreams of all of those with whom we share the journey of human existence, which includes then the economic, the political, and the social realities that both support or frustrate those dreams. And so then it is in turn our call out of seeing those things to do our piece in transforming them. We cannot remain only focused on ourselves, which is a healthy place to start. We cannot remain only focused on our community, which is a beautiful thing that is happening here, but we must also in turn become focused and realize our connection to the entire world. And with that awareness, with that connectedness, I believe it is not enough for us to simply be for those who are marginalized which that idea of being for, unbeknownst to most of us who have power, implies then building a relationship upon that power imbalance. So being for, unbeknownst to us, without us realizing, we create a relationship that is implied simply upon our power imbalance. So we are here and those are underneath us and we're going down to create relationship to them. So let me explain. I had a meeting the other day with a businessman in Nashville And a few of us recently have been having conversations specifically about race in the church. We have been asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a fully inclusive church? What people groups are we overlooking? Who needs our attention that we are not paying attention to? What social justice issues are happening? And then what then is our involvement with them? One of the issues is obviously racial reconciliation and inequality. But even more than just us realizing the reconciliation and action that needs to take place in our city, in our country, and in our world, I am asking myself a much broader question, and it is simply, are we practicing what we're preaching, period? Are we doing our best to reflect the beloved community? And not just reflect the beloved community, not just reflect the kingdom as far as it looks in percentages um, and numbers in our membership, which I would love that. We would all love that. But more importantly, how are we reflecting this idea with our lives and with our actions? So I've been having some conversations and I've been meeting some new friends along the way. So one of my new friends, William, set up a meeting um, last Thursday with Pastor Kirk, who is up in West Nashville. He is the founder and leader of Youth About Business, which is a 17-year-old organization nationwide in our country. He's doing amazing things. And so we just started having a dialogue. Um, And he was talking about more opportunities for dialogue as a community, and he was talking about all that they were doing next month. They're putting on a series of plays and comedy shows and concerts and a a panel for dialogue with their elders um, 
um, all for Black History Month up in West Nashville. And so he was not only making us aware of that, he was inviting us to that. And he said without hesitation, please come to support. Please come enjoy yourself. Please come engage with our community. He said, please come learn something. He said, but don't come because you think, because you are sure that you have all the answers to what we need. And then he went on to say, he basically offered that too often, people come in with this white savior complex. And that, that often comes with the best of intentions, but with lack of knowledge. And I immediately thought of that idea of us being for someone and the power imbalance to be for those who are marginalized, but building that relationship upon power or lack of power versus simply building a relationship with people. And so it's a touchy, sensitive subject, right? We can own that. And what I want to challenge you is I had to challenge myself upon hearing this. Do not get defensive. Do not get defensive. Take your defensive downs down. Do not judge this statement, but hear it. And upon hearing it, may we listen. Because Mr. Kirk, this pastor and I had a wonderful conversation, and I hope it will continue. But I also hope that we as a community choose to maybe go support them in many ways, and we will. But I love us pushing into the tensions. I love us pushing into assumptions and motivations because we will never grow, I think, as individuals until we can push into things like that and until we can learn to trust ourselves and each other. And so what he said, and I'm realizing it more and more, that if we start with being for someone, that's a good place to start. And many of us start there. We choose to be for someone. We speak out on behalf of someone. We put a lot of things on our social media. We're all becoming well-versed in speaking out and in speaking out not just about people, but about issues. We are really good at posting quotes. Okay, that was the joke sort of on Martin Luther King Day, was that we were all posting tons of quotes, which is a beautiful place to start. It's great and it's informative. But then I believe the completion happens when we move to intentional action. That's when the completion happens. When we choose to stand in solidarity with those people who are struggling for justice. We don't just stand for, we stand with. And solidarity means to enter into relationship with people. And we're choosing then to find a harmony with those, which means that I will bring my full self to the table and they can bring their full selves to the table. And we don't need to become just the same and just alike. It's not about uniformity, but it is about unity and harmony. We blend into each other. And when we have a relationship like that built on mutuality and trust, then we commit to the long, hard work of supporting one another. So I believe that contemplation then, if it's this attitude of receptivity and awareness, we quickly realize then that God does not work in a vacuum. God works in this world and so must we. So being a contemplative in action means being a discerning person, one who is in touch with our sinner. And then out of that balance then, may we choose to make healthy choices and make healthy decisions in our everyday lives. Richard Mulholland says this quote about spiritual formation. He says it's the process by which we are conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Richard Edinger here, he's on the front row. He's one of our elders here at Grace Point, and we have these amazing meetings with the elders weekly. He's sneaking down in his seat, which he shouldn't. But that, uh, this humility is why we have these elders. They're amazing. 
But two weeks ago in our elders meeting, he was talking about, he works with inmates and prisoners at the, the jails here in Nashville. And he said when he gets in these situations, he often brings M&Ms with him, which they're uh, often excited about, I'm sure. But he tells them when they find themselves in frustrating situations, when they find themselves angered by an officer or a guard or another inmate, it would do them well to remember M&M. And then he passes them out. And an M&M, he tells them, represents a minute of mindfulness, to take a minute meditation. That means remember that M&M, and this is good for us, in that frustrating situation, can you take a minute and get back to your place of center and balance and then choose to respond in a healthy way, choose to then act with intentionality. See, once we stop sleepwalking through our life and we start paying attention, you quit then focusing, you quit the need to focus on the results of your actions. You quit being disappointed in others' actions. And man, I would love to get to that place. You quit needing to control people, but you begin to recognize and tap into, again, motivations and intentionality. And being able to perceive motivations and intentionality is exactly the need of a tool of something like the Enneagram, which is simply a tool that we talk about a lot here, and we're going to expose you to a conference that's coming up next month. But the Enneagram tool, it is all about helping you find out what your motivation in life is. It's all about you being able to understand yourself and the way that you see the world better. And then in turn, you realize that there are probably at least nine different ways that others see the world, unlike you. And so you begin to not only have compassion for yourself and your ways, but you have compassion for others and their ways as well. So once you have this mindful and balanced center and then these healthy actions, they can play out in thousands of different ways for all of us. The question would be wise to keep at the forefront of our minds constantly, what is my intention right now? Why am I responding the way that I am? Where is compassion in this thought or in my words? Where is love? How am I being compassionate towards the person or the situation that I find myself in? And now there's not going to be a blanket answer to all of those questions. Another example, um, Chris Boskell, who's right over here. Chris, you're becoming just my favorite little sermon example. You're like my very own Stan Jr. I appreciate that. So Chris, Chris went down um, uh, last week with a handful of other Grace Point people, and he was down at the Capitol to choose to stand um, against the Defense of Marriage Act. And as he was there surrounded by his supporters and non-supporters, not his supporters, but supporters of the the act and non-supporters, he later wrote this in a blog. He says this, honestly, though, I was genuinely filled with love for the people in that hallway. From the very beginning, it was clear to me that the people who were there in support of that messed up bill had no other option available to them. He said, I looked at those kids standing there in silence with the parent's hand on their shoulder. And it wasn't like those people had a couple of choices in front of them and they decided to choose the really hateful one. Their level of consciousness at this particular time in their life affords them only one option. He said, I remembered a time in my own life when I had been right there with them, certain that I was doing God's work, and I offered them the same grace that I offered myself. He said, I know this probably sounds fairly hokey, but I wanted to minister to them with my smile. He said, I smiled at those kids with everything that I had. I smiled at the moms. I smiled at the dads. I just wanted to hug every one of them, and it was love. 
It was a frustrating love, but it was definitely love. Chris, that inspires me, and I applaud you because I believe that it's healthy action and healthy response. So what I believe Chris did in that situation is he saw truth, but he refused blame. He saw truth, but he refused blame. And I believe Jesus did exactly that. That is the example that Jesus gave to us, to be able to discern things, to speak up and act in love, but without condemnation, without judgment, yet still producing and inspiring change and transformation in people's lives, inspiring people to remember their belovedness and their dignity. Aaron Froelich in this book, Contemplation in Action, which is a book by Richard Rohr and many people, the compilation, he says this, Jesus' greatest accomplishment was inviting people to see the world with new eyes, eyes that are unable to gloss over the impression that we cause or the mistakes that we make, eyes that see the oppression but refuse to hate the oppressor. So I'm thinking about a story in Scripture of Jesus and the woman at the well, In that story, if you'll remember, Jesus offered her to join him in taking a long, loving look at the truth of her life. And then he offered her a drink of living water from the well that would never run dry. And so I'm wondering, can we in contemplation, can we choose personally to drink from that living water that Jesus spoke of? And then with our lives and with our actions, can we freely give that water out? So we get centered and we drink. And then when we come out of that place, we freely give and remind others of that water as well. Can our lives then be an invitation to others that constantly says, oh, would you taste and see that the Lord is good? Would you taste and see and understand who you are as a beloved child of God? Maybe as a check-in for you, it might be easier to ask yourself, where am I being inactive? Where am I choosing to sit back and solely observe? Where do I see needs and assume immediately that someone else is going to help with that? See, I think too often we excuse ourselves and think, well, this is not my responsibility. And I long for us to get to a place where we give up our excuses And we live abundantly and realize this is not a scarcity model, but there is enough that not only we can benefit from this love, but others can as well. I've been very moved often in the writings of John Shelby Spong, and this one sort of takes the cake for me. And he said this later on in his life. He says, I work to enhance the humanity of every person to free the life present in every person. I work to increase the love available to every person and to celebrate the being of every person. It is in those actions that I discern the very presence of divine footprints. And I know that God has been in this place before me and sometimes because of me. Sometimes because of me. So one of our goals here in this community is to be, to dare to be ourselves. And then I challenge us to dream and to hope for a better world. And then to choose in our dreaming and our hoping that that would then lead us all to action and transformation, not only of ourselves, but of the world around us. So this idea of being awake, this idea of healthy spirituality, this thought of being true with the combination of also uh, contemplation and action, right? The combination of both. When we get to this place, we will recognize injustice. 
we will see oppression. And we may be outraged, outraged by that and let it prompt in us a deep concern and action out of us. But in doing so, may we do it without a measure of hatred, without a measure of arrogance or of contempt. Can we not only offer compassion and a lack of judgment to ourselves, but can we offer it with humility to others, even in the midst of maybe some harmful places that they find themselves in? Frederica Carney says, I don't think it's possible to be humble without knowing you are secure. I don't think it's possible to be humble without knowing you are secure. But in knowing that you are safe and secure with God, there comes a humility and also a power to live peacefully and free. Y'all, we live in a beautiful and good world. And it is my prayer that we would recognize it, that we would be confident in that truth. Parker Palmer says that the greatest failure is not that of leading a full and vital life, including all our mistakes and sufferings and joys. Instead, the failure is to withdraw fearfully from the place to which one is called, to squander the most precious of all of our birthrights, the experience of aliveness itself. Aliveness is this contemplative life. Aliveness is an active life. It is the embodied, abundant, giving, and healthy life. I would love it if Josh can come up as we prepare to continue our service. And I want us to listen to this last quote. And may this be said about all of us. It's from John Steinbeck in his uh, book, East of Eden. Some of you might be familiar with it. But he says this, A kind light spread out from her, and everything changed color, and the world opened out, and a day was good to awaken to, and there were no limits to anything. And the people of the world, they were good, and they were handsome, and I was not afraid anymore. I was not afraid anymore. See, I believe we are gifted with the capacity to be both contemplatives and activists. Yet some of us may lean one way or the other, and let's not judge ourselves or others. Let's just remain open to finding balance in our own lives. May we settle into our belovedness. May we catch the stream of God. May we shout and sing his truth is marching on. And then may we go march. May we choose to go act as well. May you and I intentionally determine whatever that needs to mean for us. My dear friend, Abby Lane, she often sends me over texts, listen to this song, listen to this artist. And last year she sent this, this song over to me. And when I heard it, I knew immediately that this was my motto. It so resonated deep within my soul. I knew that I wanted to sing it over me for this specific season of my life. I also knew that I wanted to sing it in prisons when we go with Timothy's gift, that I wanted to sing it over to inspire the inmates. And when I knew that I was speaking on action this morning, I knew that I needed to sing it over me in this place and over you. This song is my call to action. My reminder that I am connected and in some ways responsible to this world. We are not responsible to save the world. We are not responsible to police the world. And yet in some way we are responsible. And I think you and I need to figure out where that responsibility lies for each of us. But in the very least, I believe that we are responsible and called to inspire the world. So may our lives... May we choose to inspire people to be themselves, to love and to live healthy lives as we choose to do the same.
Can you say amen? Amen. Listen to this. Bye.